Happy New Year and welcome to 2021. Something different about 2021's podcast is that every month there will be a theme. So this theme can help to help you to understand the general content that we produced during that year, that month. And also helps me to space out the kind of content that's created so that it helps you to understand better and not overload you with too much information. One thing I realized last year was that there was too much content per episode and it's quite difficult to learn. So I just want to space out better so it also helps with the learning process. So for the start of January and February, just this two months, we're going to talk about options. Options is a very, very big topic on its own. It is very popular in the financial market, in the capital market, traditional finance, and it's getting increasingly popular in DeFi. Yes, options in the CDFI or CFI is, has already been there, but decentralized options and options using tokenization to kind of organize different participants in the decentralized option space is increasing. So I do want to talk about that. But because options is so complicated, I am going to spread it out into two months to talk about it. And we can't talk about options without talking about volatility. So that's where I want to start. So we're going to, in this two months, because the topic is quite big, we're going to start with market volatility, talk about options, understanding CFI options versus DeFi options, and then doing a comparison between different types of DeFi options, and then deep diving into the various projects. The difference between options and previously we talked a lot about AMMs is that, you know, you, re you remember I talked a lot about AMMs. There were episodes here and there and it, it was a bit messy. The cool thing about AMMs is that it's a lot easier to understand. What I mean is that there is a general model and all you have to do is do some tweaks to some math, some engineering, and you can create more complicated models. For example, you can create derivatives or margin trading on AMMs. With options, it's quite different because with options, there's a lot more variables to consider and you can customize options in very different ways. And different options exist for different purposes because there's so many factors involved. It could be trying to be volatility neutral. It could be trying to be, you know, money neutral. There are a lot of ways to customize options and that's why it's a bit more complicated. There is no general formula for options unlike AMMs which is the x times y equals k. With options, it's quite varied. So because that is so varied, I need to go back to explaining what options are. And before we talk about, we talk about options, we need to understand what volatility is because volatility is one of the biggest factors that affects options or the biggest factor that creates the demand for options. So today, we're going to start the option series with volatility. As always, nothing is trading advice, nothing here is trading strategies. There are a lot more brilliant people out there talking about tra trading strategies. You have a lot of funky methods to mix options with your trading, with your portfolio, so that you can be whatever risk neutral or volatility neutral or price neutral, whatever you want. What I'm trying to explain over here is to give you the economics understanding of what options are, what volatility is, and how the different mechanisms are translating the kind of incentives or behaviors that the ecosystem wants to achieve. So that's the goal. If you learn a bit here and pick up investment tips, good for you, but this is not investment advice. So today to begin, we're going to start with something very high level, right? We're going to start with volatility. And I want to start with answering, is volatility bad? 
Then we're going to look at what is market volatility, what is implied volatility, what can I do about volatility, ways to hedge volatility, and hopefully that gives us enough information, enough start to understand how can we use options to hedge against volatility and what are the alternatives or options available. Firstly, is volatility bad? Honestly, it depends. It depends because it depends what kind of investor you are, what kind of risk appetite you have, what kind of strategies that you're looking at, and what are your yeah, what what position do you take in the market? So you can make a lot of money with volatility, you can lose a lot of money with volatility. It's not about volatility where you make or lose money. Volatility is really just a measure of risk of how risky the market is. And what what is volatility? Volatility is really just the how much the change would be. So for example, if we have we have a spread or we have price of an asset, you know, how much will it spread, how much will it change? This is volatility, right? How how will it change? So usually high volatility equals high risk, but it really depends on how you use volatility to your strategy. And as I I know I want to talk about this whole episode, it's all about volatility. And volatility is very important, but there are also a lot of other things to consider beyond volatility. And volatility is just it's just a word, right? It could be used to it can be used in many contexts. So in a micro economy context, it could be the inflation of the asset. So usually we talk about volatility in terms of prices, in terms of stocks, equity, property, property prices. And you can also translate them to crypto assets because the inflation of the crypto assets is also very highly related to how volatile the asset is. Sometimes you can measure that because they are engineered. This is what token economics and token engineering is about. You can measure that and give some understanding to that. Or it could be something completely outside where it's it's um, expectations of people and that's how you get volatility. We'll talk about that later. And the other volatility is the macro ecosystem. That will be the market conditions. So you have assets that could change. You could have the market that could change. That affects the assets. And when you put them together, it gets a bit complicated, right? So one way we can understand volatility is to also look at past data. Future data is all predicted, it's all forecasts. And you know what they say about macroeconomics, right? You know, it's the same, it's the same thing as asking a child to predict the weather because everything depends and everything goes. It's just how do you justify those numbers? So in another, beyond, volati beyond volatility, beyond micro and macro markets, it's also good to look at historical data, to look at past data, to give you some reference, to give you some understanding. Although, do note, Past data doesn't reflect future results. It's just for you to understand, to give you more insights. Because the more information we get, the better we can make decisions. So what is volatility that we're talking about here? There are two types of volatility. One is the market volatility and one is the implied volatility. To put it very simply, it's historical volatility and future volatility. So it's volatility of the past, that's market volatility. Future volatility is more of the implied volatility, the predicted values. So historical volatility is based on past data, all the information that is already given. So looking at the price of assets, how do you judge the how, how do you calculate the volatility of the asset? Future volatility is based on people's expectations of the assets, and there you calculate 
based on how people expect, how people pay for assets, how people pay for the expected assets, how can we define or how can we make some conclusions about their understanding of how volatile the market is? And from there, you can find the implied volatility and you know, forecast what the market is going to be. So these are two different types of volatility and they have very different ways to calculate them. And we're going to use, we're going to talk a little bit more about them later. And then there's also, what about volatility? Okay, so the general notion is that higher volatility equals high risk. And it is a little bit like, it's a little bit like gambling. Sometimes they call it spec, uh, educated gambling or educated speculation. But high volatility is higher risk, higher risk equals higher results, or higher risk usually means higher results. It's not always true, but that's the general notion. And the general notion of higher volatility means higher volatility means the price will move more, right? When the prices move more, you will experience higher risk. That's the, the simple notion. Whether it translates to rewards, it really depends as well. But usually higher volatility, higher volatility equals higher risk. It also really depends on your trading strategy because that will help you to mitigate different risk. Because when you have something with high volatility, you can do something else to try to offset the risk or try to reduce that risk. We'll talk about them later. So that aside, is volatility bad, good or bad? You know, it really depends. Now let's go on to more of the, the crux of the topic. And let's start with market volatility. Remember what is market volatility? It's historical volatility. It's past data, using past data to get some understanding of where the, the asset is right now. You probably hear a lot about this in options trading and a lot of, um, under, a lot of conversations around trading and stocks and equity. So market volatility, what is that? It uses past data. So that's the main difference between implied volatility. And it is fluctuation of the returns of the assets prices. How do you measure it? You measure it, you measure the, the spread of the returns. So you can think of two bell curves and you have one bell curve that's really flat. So almost like a horizontal line, you know, very flat, very low middle line. And it spreads out very widely like a, like a pancake. And then you have another, another bell curve, like a, like the Mount Everest. So it's very, very like a mountain. So very high peak and everything is very narrow towards the peak. Which one is, which one has higher volatility? As you can imagine, volatility is the spread of, of the spread of the returns, right? Spread of the value of the assets. So when it's more pancake shape, where the sites are more spread out into different directions, that's where it's more volatile because there's more ways of, more ways the spread could go. Whereas if it's higher like a mountain, where it's very narrow in the middle, very narrow towards the center, there is low volatility because the prices won't change so much. It's all within a very constrained range. So there is just some general ideas of market volatility. So where is it used in? So I just took a snapshot of uh, Deribit for the past 15 days, and you can see the historical volatility of Bitcoin of the past 15 days. You can, you can see the chart. Does it make sense just like that? Yes, no, it really depends on um, what it means to you, how you want to use the data. What I want to say is that historical volatility can be calculated with numbers. It is really a st 
statistical volatility. It is really just the standard deviation. And we'll talk about that a bit later, but just to see, volatility, historical volatility is a measure of how volatile the asset is or how, how much spread the asset is. And the on Deribit, they it's a, it's an options or derivatives exchange. They also trade options, and this is where they can get a lot of data as well. So let's go and talk about measuring volatility. How do you measure them? There are three ways to measure them, and three different types of um, data. The first one is the standard deviation of assets returns. So we talk we talk about how historical volatility is really related to statistics and we use the formula of standard deviation which means one standard deviation from the mean what is the what is the probability of numbers within that range what i mean is that take all the values that you have find the average which is the mean you know take all and divide by the number available so sum them up divide by the total entries that you have so that's the mean that's the middle point Okay, and if that's the middle point, then you can calculate one standard, one standard deviation away from, from the middle point. What it means? It means that if I take a random, random number, what, how far is the distance away from this center? And I can, I can draw a curve from it. It's usually a normal curve, a bell-shaped curve. Anyway, the point is that if I get a random number, if all these random numbers are, are very close to the middle, that's, that means low volatility. That means the standard deviation, um, that means low volatility and the, the bell curve is a bit more like a mountain. Whereas if I get all these numbers and I plot the graph compared different to that center line that we have, and it, it can be a negative number by the way, and then it is very widespread like a pancake, then that's high volatility because the, the numbers are everywhere. So it's, the numbers are everywhere, so you have a very wide curve, very widespread. So that is a statistical way of calculating assets returns. So the asset prices compared to the average. The second way of calculating is the beta coefficients. So, you know, on Twitter, you always have alpha, alpha, alpha. Alpha is really just the gains. Beta is the volatility. What do we mean by volatility? It is volatility in reference to something. So you have to benchmark it to something. So let's take traditional finance or capital market, for example. Let's say we have the, the company of Tesla. And we, we, have, we want to find out the volatility, how volatile Tesla stocks are. But, so we can find it out in the, the first method, which is the standard deviation of the assets return. So we can compare the volatility of Tesla compared to its past one year's value, which it's helpful in some ways. But sometimes you want to understand how is it doing relative to the entire market. So what we could do is to find the volatility of the S&P 500, so the top 500 companies listed on S&P. Then you find the volatility of that, then you calculate that compared to the volatility of Tesla. So this is your beta coefficient. So it's comparing your assets against a benchmark. And that so for standard deviation in assets returns, you, you have that in crypto. The Bitcoin graph that I showed you, that is it. With better coefficients, you don't really have that yet because we have not found a way to standardize what is the benchmark for volatility. I guess some people do peg it against Bitcoin's fluctuations because um, yeah, people are trying to figure out the, the impacts of 
Bitcoin fluctuating versus the altcoins and other other top 10 coins. That could be something, but it's still not like a big value that everyone agrees on yet. The other way, talking about the, the value that everyone agrees on, which brings me to the third point, which is the VIX. So VIX is a volatility index created by CBOE, and it is it is a, an exchange that trades all these different indexes and all these um, derivatives. And from there, you can calculate the volatility index based on the trading, and this index becomes it's called VIX, and it becomes an index that people care about, people consider when trying to understand how volatile the market is. So let's look at some charts to understand a little bit more about what is high volatility and what is low volatility. I just want to give you some understanding, not trading advice, just understanding. So the first chart you see that I'm looking at um, the prices of Bitcoin in the past 180 days from today. And you can see that in, in July, the price moved very little. It's always hovering below 10,000, it's about, I don't know, 9,000 something. In August period, it, it moved quite a bit. You can see the candle charts moving. It didn't move as significantly, but during that range, it, it moved quite a bit. And then from September to, to mid-October, it also moved a bit, and you can see that in the candle chart. Then in November, December, January, you can see huge movement, huge candle charts. And the candle chart can tell you how volatile the asset is, relative to the entire the asset in a long run. So you can zoom in and zoom out depending on, on what you're looking at to give you a very big picture snapshot, very general snapshot of how volatile the asset is. You can see that compared to now, volatility is really comparison, right? You, you can't say something is volatile without comparing it to something else. So you can either compare it to its past data or compare it to something, some other asset, the, the benchmark asset, the, the better value. So let's say we just compare it to Bitcoin. Uh, six months ago, compared to today, six months ago, six months ago was not was low volatility, and right now it's high volatility because prices change so much. And you can see that in the candle chart. So that's the general big picture. If you want to do a, a more, so that is the comparing the asset to itself. Now let's look at comparing the asset to another asset to another benchmark. That would be the other chart that we saw just now, which is the pancake-shaped bell curve versus the mountain-shaped bell curve. The pancake-shaped bell curve is where it's higher volatility because prices can spread out a bit more. The spread is much wider versus the mountain shape, which is low volatility. The, the shape is more center, going towards the middle line. So why do we care about, why do we need to care about market volatility? Why, why can't we just decide that I like I like the project and I'm going to I'm going to put money in that. Well, because these value give gives us two main information. The first one is the market sentiment, and second is the historical spot price of the asset. So the market sentiment is something like the beta volatility. We try to figure out what the market is thinking about and how it compares to other assets. The historical spot price is how the asset itself is doing. Then all this information can also be very helpful because it help, help us to understand implicit volatility in the next in the, the next section that we're going to talk about. Implicit volatility and historical volatility, they're a little bit linked because there is a paper that showed that there is a huge there is a correlation between implicit volatility and actual volatility. 
because whatever the people expect the volatility to be, there is some correlation to it actually becoming real. So that's something that we care about. And how do we use the information? We can make bets with it or we can hedge against the future. We'll talk about that a bit later. So let's go to the next section on implied volatility. Implied volatility is really the predicted or, or future volatility that the market is expecting. So the market doesn't de decide that this is the volatility it wants. It is what is expected. So this is quite different from the historical or market volatility. So the market one uses historical value, right? Historical data, historical spot prices to calculate the standard deviation to calculate the value of volatility. Implicit volatility is a bit different. It uses expected value. Expected value of what, you ask? Well, expected value of the options contract. I told you everything about everything we're talking about in the next two months is going to be related to options. And this is why I want to talk about volatility first because the way we get volatility or implicit volatility is through options contract. So fluctuation in the expected returns via options contract. So how much people are willing to pay for it will affect or will translate or translate to how people expect volatility to be in the future. So that is the, the key difference between historical volatility or market, market volatility. Similarly, though, it measures the spread of returns. One measures the spread of previous returns. This one measures spread of expected returns. So where can you find volatility? You can find it in the Black Scholes, the Black Scholes model and in options contract. So you see the, the sigma over here. You have, you have them in the Black, Black Scholes formula. It is not the formula that everyone uses. And there are a lot of other formulas out there. This is just a very famous one that won the Nobel Prize. They do consider volatility in its contracts. So how do we measure, if that is the way we measure volatility, how do we measure implicit volatility then? There is no way, there is no formula that we can, we can write to figure out how to calculate implicit volatility. In fact, we find the value of the implicit volatility through options contract, as I mentioned earlier. So if let's say the market thinks that the future will be very uncertain, huge volatility, people are willing to pay more for options, pay more, um, yeah, maybe, yeah, should be paying more for the, to buy and sell, so the call and put options, and because they want to hedge or they want to lock in their prices before market craziness, volatility, uncertainty comes in. So based on that, we can, we can show that higher, in general, higher option prices does reflect higher implicit volatility of the future. So what I want to say is that vol implicit volatility, IV, comes from option prices and not IV represents option prices. So one way, the, the way we value implicit volatility is, is really using something else as a proxy to calculate it backwards to find the value of it. It, it itself, right, the economic value of, of implicit volatility is the, is the value that exists in the option contract. And it's quite, the, the value of the, the price to option is a lot more than just the implicit volatility. It includes a lot of, includes four main, three other um, main variables. Implicit volatility is just one of them. 
However, implicit volatility, the, the way it has value is because there is a value that exists within the contract itself that continues to be there until the options expire because it allows you to lock in the price of a specific asset. So this is the economic value of implicit volatility. So if you think about it, it's quite similar to tokens or native tokens in an ecosystem. Native tokens in an ecosystem has economic value and you can't exactly calculate that one way we calculate that is allow the tokens to be floating on secondary market, people get price discovery to it, then we figure out the monetary value, and from there, you can cut out some of the monetary value to, to define its internal value, like its implicit value. In the same way, that is quite similar to implicit volatility of options contract. You can't exactly calculate implicit volatility for options. You have options, which includes a lot of different things. You put it on the secondary market, allow it to float, allow it to find to get price discovery. It will include a lot of different aspects of business or a lot of aspects of market's expectations. I do kind of believe in efficient market hypothesis. That's why I believe in this. And then you translate it back to the value, the implicit, implicit volatility's value. So that's the general idea. So I like options because it's quite similar. The, the valuation is a little bit similar to how native tokens are accruing value. It's not something you can just write down on paper, but you can you can abstract it from secondary market and expectations of the market. Once again, why do we care? We care because we don't know how uncertain the market is going to be, but we can have some expectations of what the market thing the market is going to be in the future. So it gives us some time to prepare. It gives us some time to decide what to do with this information. And then we can once again make bets or hedge against the future. What is make bets and hedge against the future? What is the main thing we can do with volatility? It's what I want to talk about. So the first thing we can do is hedge against volatility movement. So let's say there is, let's say I know that prices are going to fall, and I don't want my I don't want my asset to fall in. Oh, I know prices are going to fall, and I'm quite worried about it. Or I know prices are going to rise, and I'm quite worried about it. What can I do? I can get an options contract to lock in a price so that I don't have to care what's going to happen with in the next period of time against volatility. So for example, let's say I'm, I'm really worried that um, book pricing, a book, a book is going to increase in price. Okay, let's take a simple, let's take a simple explanation. So I published a book and I, I speak with the printer to get it printed. So I also, but I'm worried that in the next three months that suddenly everyone will be printing books, everything will be super expensive, and but I want to lock in the price right now. I like the price that I have right now. So what can I do? I can have I can create a contract to tell to with the with the book printing company saying that this is the price I'm willing to pay for this amount of books and this contract will expire in three months' time. So if I choose to print the books within these three months, I will get this rate. And I get to lock in this rate. And to me, I think that's good because I don't have to care about what ink is going to be, paper is going to be, all this like book binding is going to be. I know that this is this will be the price for the next three months. And it helps me to make whatever business decision that needs to be made. So then I'm being hedged. This this contract, contract to purchase the book at this price is, is something like an options contract because I, I'm I don't have to buy the books within the next three months. But if I choose to print the books within the next three months, I will get it. I'll get it at this price. 
So I get to hedge against whatever the movement is going to be. Maybe I'm super worried that the future is going to be super uncertain. So I have this contract to say the price is locked in. So that's how I can hedge against that. So in the crypto space, maybe I want to buy Bitcoins, but I don't want to buy Bitcoins right now. I want to buy Bitcoins in the future. I think it's going to be super expensive in the future. So I want to have an options contract right now to be purchasing it at $38,000. Because maybe I think the future is going to be very volatile. So I want to lock in the price today. So that's, that's how I can, that's how I can, how I can use volatility or how I can use option contracts to help with how volatile the, the market is. The other way is to speculate or bet on volatility movement. So let's say I think um, prices are going to fall super, super much, going to fall crazily, and, and, or I just think it's going to be super volatile. And so I want to speculate on that. And you can speculate a short position, you can speculate a long position. It, it really depends. So for example, if I'm a seller, I'm a seller of Bitcoin, and I think maybe it's going to, maybe it's going to rise. Maybe it's going to rise to 45k in the next three months. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's going to rise to 45k by the end of Q1. It's going to rise to 45k by the end of Q1. And what can I do? I want to, I want to make profits out of it. So maybe I can go to one of these options contract and tell them that, hey, can I, can I, um, buy Bitcoins from you at $44,000 and I can execute it within the next three months. And I will pay you a certain amount of money for this for this opportunity to purchase it at $44,000. So if the price is $45,000, I get to purchase it at $44,000 and then sell it immediately in the secondary market and earn $1,000 in profits. So that's that's the idea. That's how you can speculate. So that's how that's that's why volatility is not a bad thing because you can make money with volatility. You can also lose money because you that's how you hedge it, or you can make money, that's how you speculate and bet on it. So where do we see high volatility? Let's go into understanding a little bit more about the economics of it. When we understand the economics of something, we, we look at the, the three main ingredients that affect, that determines the economic activities. The first one is incentives, the second is disincentives or punishments, because these two affects, affect people the most. And lastly, what is the outcome? The outcome is the behaviours. All these incentives and disincentives are reflected in people's behaviors. That's why economics is a social science because we're talking about people's behaviors and not hard science where things are co completely accurately engineered. So where do we see high volatility? Let's look at the incentives in place. So when high volatility or high implied volatility is where let's say as a buyer, I'm super worried about the future. I don't really know what the future is going to be. It's super uncertain now. You know, 2020 was a mess. Maybe 2021 might be better, might be worse. I don't know. So what I want to do, I want to, I, I want an option. I want a, a possibility to lock in prices right now. So if everyone thinks like me and everyone is very worried about what the, how uncertain the market is going to be. So we all want to get an options contract and lock in the, the prices right now. So the, the purchase price of an asset. On the other hand, sellers, they also, they also realize that, hey, it's quite uncertain right now in the future. So I don't really know if, maybe I expect that the future prices will be, will change drastically. So I want to lock in my profits right now as well. And, and I'm, I want, or 
I think the feature is going to be much better and I want to lock in the prices. And if you want to purchase the assets at a specific price right now, I'm going to ask for a higher price because I think I can sell it for a better price in the future. So they will ask for higher price, higher value. So when, when the, the demand increases, because often buyers want to lock in their price and then the, the supply, or supply depends as well. But if demand increases a lot and then your supply curve, your demand curve shifts and then you can see the, the equilibrium price increases and the option prices increase. So when buyers pay more for the, for the option, option price increases. When sellers are asking more for option prices, prices increases. These are incentives to ask for more prices, the higher price, right? And so the implied, volat implied volatility increases. And what do we see? We see larger price movement. People expect larger price movement. And you can see that with higher option prices. That's the general idea. Of course, there are a lot of other factors that will affect um, option prices. And this is just one factor. Everything equal, higher implied volatility is, is because there's higher option prices. And where do we see low volatility? That's where option, option buyers buy, pay less for it because I don't think maybe the market is doing very good. No crazy presidents saying crazy things. No countries trying to leave each other. Everyone is cooperating. No missing billionaires somewhere. Everyone is just being, you know, really good citizens and just happy lives. So the market is very, very stable. So it's low volatility. In that case, then you, option buyers, you, not many people are wanting to purchase options because the market is so stable anyway, it's fine. Option sellers are also, they know that there's nothing much to ask if the, the, it's quite stable. So then there isn't much, there isn't much demand for it. And maybe there isn't much supply, suppliers wanting to sell it because nobody's demanding it anyway. So option prices decrease. And we can see that in having a smaller price movement, smaller expected price movement in the future. So, and it makes sense because people don't want to spend money to hedge against something when everything is super stable anyway. So why spend additional money? So that is the understanding of volatility. Now, what are the ways to hedge against volatility? I talked about options a lot, but there's a lot more than options. The first one is futures contract. So options is one way. Options is just the, the, the it's not obligation, just the possibility to purchase, the, the option to purchase, yeah, the choice to go and purchase the asset, right? So you pay a small amount of money for that, that choice, that alternative to be able to purchase it, and then you can execute it or not. On the other hand, futures contract is you it, you lock in the future prices, so you you have to you have to purchase this. You can either get it physically delivered or cash settled. But once you sign in a futures contract, you you lock in that future prices. You can't change. You there is a hundred percent obligation to purchase it. You either purchase it, you settle it with cash, or you actually purchase it uh, physically delivered. So that's futures contract, and this is one way to hedge against volatility. So who uses that? Companies like airline companies where oil market super volatile you think every time oil market increases and decreases it reflects directly in your air tickets mm, not really because the the system will go crazy trying to calculate the air tickets every single time so what they do they have futures contracts with oil oil drinks um with banks or, or whatever companies to lock in oil prices and that will determine 
their how they determine the cost of operating an airline's company and then price your air tickets based on that. So that's futures contract. That's how your airline companies hedge against volatility in the oil market, for instance. The other way of, of hedging against volatility is swapping. So swapping is swapping is just a, a term. You know, you have a lot of different types of swaps. You have currency swaps, commodity swap, interest rate swaps, credit default swaps. There are a lot of swaps out there. Swaps is just another way of addressing volatility. So instead of having variable interest rates or variable values, you have a swap to get a fixed value, a fixed interest rate or a fixed, a fixed assets to exchange with. So this is, this is another way to hedge against volatility. It's, it is a very complicated topic because credit default swaps is completely different from interest rate swaps, very different from currency swaps, very different from commodity swaps. But in general, just think of it as I swap my risk or volatility away with something else. I do something else instead to reduce my risk of volatility. I have to pay for it, but it does reduce volatility. So that means whatever happens in the market, I am somewhat more protected. And lastly, it's options. Everything's going to be about options from now on. So with options, you can, you can do a lot of funky things with options. So firstly, you can just use very simple, pure vanilla options to hedge against something, hedge against price increase or price decrease. You can be an option buyer, option seller. So for example, if you think um, prices are going to to rise by too much or fall by too much, then you can find ways to sell or buy depending on what your strategy is, the different options. The other way is it can be in, yeah, insurance against price movements. So if it rises by too much and you're a bit worried, you can, you can get an option to, to give you the, the right to buy at a lower price, provided there's someone willing to sell you at a lower price, and then you pay money for that right. Then you can also speculate on prices increasing or decreasing. And lastly, you can help to, to reduce exposure or risk. So there are a lot of ways to play around with it. And whatever we talked about so far is just very vanilla options. What you could also do is to get one call option, one put option. You can change some variables in between and it gives you, you know, a delta neutral position or try to reduce or minimize volatility in your position because you're offsetting each other, right? You buy and sell. You can have a buy contract and a sell contract and they can offset each other in one way or another and you can create very complicated strategies around it. So that's why I, that's why options is, is a complicated topic and I want to take two months to, to talk about it. And this is why I think it's very important to start off with market volatility because implied volatility is a very, very key aspect in options in the way you use them, in the way you use them in trading strategies, in the way you can use them in insurance, because this translates to the different mechanisms for DeFi options moving forward. So how do we use options in crypto finance, in DeFi? Right now, mainly it's, it's just options. You have options for the two main things, which is BTC and ETH, mainly Bitcoin. You have Ethereum as well. And these are the two biggest uh, assets, which have options on. Of course, you do have other assets available, and these are available on other platforms. So if you look at CFI or CDFI, so it's it's crypto, centralized crypto exchanges or stuff like that. We have OTC, which is Ledger Ledger X. Usually OTC is more expensive, but you get to customize it a little bit more, so that's interesting. 
and then you have other things like CME backed, uh, FTX and Deribit. So these are exchanges where they, they have somewhat a standardized options contract and you can trade them on exchanges. With OTC, you can customize to the specific kind of things that you want. In DeFi, it is, you have a little bit more, more, it's a bit more complicated because you have a token involved and usually you, the whole market, the market maker and market taker thing is a bit different. So think of it in DeFi or DeFi options, think of it as AMM plus options adding together. And sometimes you want to add other derivatives in there. But we're not talk about we're not go so in that yet. We'll do that in a couple of months down the road. But right now, this is where DeFi really differs from CeFi. With CeFi, you have market makers being the options buyers or options sellers. With DeFi, how do you how do you create decentralized market makers? How do you pull all these market makers together to create these kind of options? Also, are we talking about standardized options? Are we talking about very specialized options? Are we talking about how do you define the options contract? What goes into creating them? Are they all standardized? Are they all unique on its own? How does the token come into play? Is the token even needed? Why is the token used? These are all the things that we, we will talk about in, in the DeFi aspect of options, which I think is super interesting and super fascinating. So right now, and if you look at CeFi, right now for Ledger, CME backed, and Derivit, they are mainly very focused on Bitcoin and Ethereum. For FTX, you have more of the other altcoins flavor. And you also have the Bitcoin and Ethereum main ones. And in DeFi, you also you mainly have a lot of Ethereum ones. And you have some of the other altcoins, which is very interesting. Because I think you can define the maturity of the market with the availability of derivatives and options available for, for more sophisticated users to trade them to make money from them and to play around with the market because I think this is this is very important to grow a healthy economy because it talks about long-term expectations and this is where implied volatility is so important that's why I want to talk about it so that's it for this week on market volatility I hope it gives you some understanding of what volatility is because in the next week's episode we're going to dive a bit deeper into understanding what options are and once we understand a bit more about options, then we can figure out how the different platforms are using them and how are they different in the ways because there, there's no one standardized mechanism for options. So stay tuned to next week. I'll see you next week. In the meantime, I have published a token economics book. If you go to book.economicsdesign.com or you can scan the QR code, that will give you some understanding of some economics foundations, fundamentals, the F word of token ecosystems and hopefully give you more understanding to to know what to expect or what what is being considered in economics because token economics is more than just your token supply token distribution token allocation there's a lot of ways of how to use tokens to incentivize a very decentralized type of participants and how to affect different behaviors so you can find a lot of that in the book it also talks a lot about different mechanisms in DeFi. so till then i'll see you next week Bye.